Hello and welcome to the Seek, Strive, Conquer podcast with me, Jack Fleckney. I suppose the goal for me from this podcast is to see if I can give you a bit more insight into the things that I'm doing or the things I've done, the things I've learned from them and in essence actually give you guys some strategies as well for taking on your own challenges using obviously the, the Seek, Strive, Conquer quote, the message, the motto, whatever you want to call it. But I suppose today it's really apt that we're going to talk about the chin-up challenge. It's the it's the most recent one I've just finished and actually failed. And I do loads of talks at the minute with, with a lot of kids between the age of probably about 12 and 18. And one of the biggest things I try and say to them is that it's, it's okay to fail. And I actually now look back and think, I'm actually really glad that I did fail because it adds to the story and it hopefully shows others that it's all part of the journey. And we'll talk about that in future podcasts about how the fear of failure stopped me from actually putting my hand up years ago to say, yeah, I'll go and do that. Yeah, I'll go and have a go at uh, getting into special forces. I'll have a go at, uh, you know, doing specialist things in the military. And it was always because I was scared of failing. But back to the chin-up event. Where did it all come from? Why am I doing this? Why am I sat here doing a podcast right now? Well, if we, if we rewind about a year and a half ago, I was running my business, Shire Fit, which is a gym business, a fantastic gym business, with an amazing team that now runs it. And what I realized was I was not feeling fulfilled and I wasn't happy with what I was doing. Um, probably the, the biggest thing for me in life is to make sure that I'm happy and I'm chasing after something that I want to chase after. after. And I don't wanna waste my time doing something I don't enjoy doing. And there's nothing wrong with the business, you know, or, or what was going on. But what was, was is in my own head, I was probably aligning my own job against what my actual values are in life. And mine are probably adventure, freedom of being able to do things when I want, and also challenge, where I thought I'd lost that a little bit with the business. So I sort of took the step to step back away from it. And we've now, you know, we've now got an independent franchise owners of those gyms. We've got Max, who's running the gym way, way better than I ever would have done. And now I'm sat here in a position that enables me to chase after things that I value. And those things are really that I can take on different challenges. I can go and experience adventure and exploration at a level that I've never had to before or been able to do. And also, I can give back in the sense of raising money for charitable causes that, are, that I completely buy into. And also, give back in the sense of feel like I'm making a difference to maybe the future. So this is where we set up the Jack Fletney Foundation. And the aim of the foundation is we're gonna we're gonna pull funds, we're gonna raise funds, and then we're gonna distribute those funds into projects that I feel passionate about, that I feel that the money is gonna make a big difference to them. Rather than beforehand when I've probably raised money for big, big, big charities, and you never really know where that funds go. So that that's the goal from the foundation. And the foundation was set up because when I announced I was stepping back, I won't lie, I had no idea what my transition was gonna be into. All I know, knew was I wanted to step away and I wanted to get the ball rolling with it to look after the team a bit. So, yeah, we uh, I, I announced it and someone from the Saints Foundation, one of the trustees got in touch called John Drown and he asked if he could mentor me. And to be honest with you, I had no idea really how mentoring worked, but I was down for it, you know, if I could learn as much as possible. And John's background was 
actually in, in banking and finance as a, as a tre- treasurer um, for some big big companies and now he's one of the one of the uh, on the board of directors of the Northampton Saints and also uh, is on the trustee board of the Saints Foundation and what a guy like he I can't even give you an understanding in words of the help that he's given me over the last probably seven eight months we started this journey and we built a plan of being able to take on multiple different challenges and build a brand around it to raise money for charity and we said well We've got lots of things going on because in the diary at the time I had the Marathon de Saab, which is a race across the Sahara Desert. I was supposed to be going out to Svalbard, which was a, well, which was, which is, it's not, it's not disappeared. <laughs> it is an island north of Norway, owned by the Norwegians. Uh, it's the most northern inhabited place in the world. So very close to the North Pole, a few hundred miles away, around about seven, eight hundred miles away from North Pole. So the conditions are very similar. And it's great training for po- for anyone that wants to take on polar exploration, which is one of my big goals in the future. So I had those two planned and they involved lots of training and preparation. And we said, yeah, let's do it. And we decided also that we would take on a, a gym-based challenge. Unfortunately, because of all the travel restrictions we see at the minute, I, both of those events got cancelled. So then it was time to really turn the dial and look at one challenge I could do in the UK that we could get you know a big engagement from and get people behind to understand the cause and one of the things I noticed from volunteering down at the foundation and just seeing the work the the fantastic team there does is that the kids there a lot of the time they feel like the odds are against them and they don't you know they don't feel like they've got the opportunity that others do they feel behind basically so what I wanted to do was pick an event where the odds were against me. So hopefully it would align well and you know maybe show them that you can take on these challenges and you can do more than you probably think. So naturally I thought, well, what, what do I think is a good thing to do that's gonna challenge me that I shouldn't really beat? We've done the 24 hour events and they get a lot of buy-in because people do understand that 24 hours is a long time. And to give you perspective now of a 24-hour event, because sometimes it goes over your head, you think, oh, day, that's all right. What I recommend you do whilst you're listening to this now is, is set an alarm from now in 20 hour, 24 hours' time. And then when that alarm goes off, you can think about doing one thing continuously for that time frame. So, yeah, we, we decided that chin-ups were going to be the best thing. Well, actually, I decided. John and the other board of trustees in, the, in my foundation did not think it was a good idea because, well, basically they uh, they said, well, you know, you've got to do something you can get. And I, I, But the problem is for me, I won't be fully engaged in something unless it's going to be a real challenge. So I knew I had to do something like that. And I thought, well, chin-ups being, being heavy, my body shape's not really built for chin-ups. I thought, what a fantastic idea here to see if we can take it on. Six, I'm about six foot two. If, it's, if my little brother stood next to me, I'm six foot two and a half. And... Uh, was simmering around 102 kilos at the time. So yeah, we decided chin-ups. And all I want to do really was talk you through my journey over six months because it's six months of training lead up to the event. And I built a bit of a plan of ideas. So I had, I've got an endurance coach that does all my endurance training for me. And what I realized very quickly was endurance is going to be a really important facet of the 24-hour event because it's a war of attrition. So you've got to be able to keep the body moving and keep composed and and keep your what do I say like your stamina your mental stamina as much as your physical stamina during those kind of events 
And what I decided was that I was gonna continue my endurance training, which was around five to six times a week. And then we were gonna bolt on the, the, the specific training for the chin-up event. So it started off where I did a session or I did 100 chin-ups. And all I wanted to do was just see how it felt. And I quickly realized there's loads of different things I was gonna to have to work on. First one was mobility, because your hands are underneath the bar, the other way around to normal, what you call a supinated grip. And it was straight away making it a lot more awkward on my elbows, on my wrists and my shoulders. So I was gonna to have to work on mobilizing and warming up loads before I, before I could take on you know, more and more reps. The other thing was that I thought it was gonna be all arms. I thought it was gonna be all about biceps, but it wasn't, it's was all about lats. It was lats, lats, lats. So all the work I did was just for developing lat strength, as well as a little bit of prehab work for my shoulders and biceps and forearms. So my training program for the chin-ups pretty much looks like five days a week. I'll do chin-ups three and three of those, and they would incorporate one strength session, so it'd be like lower rep ranges, but maybe some weighted versions or some max reps versions. Then a second session would be a middle ground session. So I was gonna be throwing in what I would class at that time as a, as a medium volume session. So I'd, at the time when I first started, it would have sat about 150, 200 reps. But actually by the end of training, that would become 750 reps and maybe even 1,000. And then finally one big session. So that was usually on a weekend, I had more time, a few hours to, to spare to sit and work through them. And what I would do was sit through a big session which again started off at 500 but then that escalated up to 3000 over the six months so you can see how the body adapted over those period of time all i did was i worked in six week periods i did six weeks where i trained every week i'd slowly increase the reps so i started off doing you know my big session would have been 400 then it went up to 500 then it went up to 600 750 and then eventually once i got to the end of the six weeks i'd have a week of pretty much no chin-ups uh, and, and rest and then I would repeat again the cycle but this time I'd look to bolt on a little bit more volume so I call that sort of wave loading so I'm slowly adding a little bit more relax and deload and this is like that linear progression to slowly add in that little bit more work and my body started to adapt really well to the chin-ups and what I found was there was only a few issues I that I would get pretty sore to begin with because of volume. So I was waking up in the night if I laid on my lats because my lats were sore because I had taken such a battering. And then I was having some issues just with forearms just because I was getting a bit of tendonitis in my elbows just from the amount of volume that was going on. And then my wrists were a bit sore from the weird position that I had my wrists in. So I went for a period of time where I had to switch up the grip on the bar to make it a little bit better for me. And then also, Finally, I had one shoulder issue about halfway through training, which, which was demoralizing. So it would hurt from rep one, but I just couldn't pin on why it was. And it wasn't until I spent uh, maybe a, a few hours trying to work out what was going on. And what I found was, weirdly, was that on one side, on my right side, my shoulder was slightly rounding and pushing forward at the top of the rep. So that's where, if you've watched some of the videos of me doing them, you'll see I've got uh, like a piece of wood or a bar or something pulling away from the bar that I've got for my chin up to hit. And that was purely to stop my shoulders from rounding. The moment I did that, the pain went away instantly so I could get straight back into my full training again, which was amazing. So it was such a mental relief knowing that I could continue pushing. So the, the other bizarre bit of this training program was I didn't have a set date for the event until very close to it. 
purely because of all the things that were going on in the world and in the UK in terms of haven't you been able to hold events. So what I was doing was pretty much working week by week and adapting the programme based on what I thought was going to happen. And eventually we set the date for the 12th of June. And I hit my last cycle. So I had my last cycle of six weeks to build up into the event. And that's where things ramped up. So a bit like a boxer or an MMA fighter gets, he has a like fight camp, that was mine. So training upped, the volume really, really increased. And I hit my final big session, which was four weeks before the event. And the goal was four weeks before the event, I'd do my biggest session. And then in those lead up weeks into the event, I'd slowly decrease the volume to the point where I literally was itching to get back on the bar. So the session was... 3,000. I want to do 3,000 chin-ups at what I call game pace. And what I've been training for was actually to try and complete 7,000 chin-ups. The world record for 24 hours sits at 5,340 currently. I know it's a bit lofty to aim for a silly number like that. But I thought, you know, if I'm training for that kind of number to accomplish, then anything lower than that becomes a lot more achievable. And I wanted to blow it out of the park, to be honest with you. So then people would really buy in to what I was trying to achieve and hopefully donate more or donate uh, donate or just donate to be honest with you which was the end goal the, the goal was to raise money for the foundation we'll talk about that in a minute and yeah so we hit the 3,000 I was very lucky that yeah, I'm sponsored by a coffee company called The Roastery a fantastic company which actually I can look at their offices right now across from my office and they supported me by actually making me a chin-up bar last minute to use for the 3,000, which I did down at the Saints, a bit of a practice run-through. And it went really well. I won't lie. I turned up feeling terrible. I felt like I had the flu. I had taken COVID tests. It wasn't COVID. I think I just had the flu. So I had a temperature and I was really like snotty and coughing. So I worked through and my goal was to sit at 292 uh, an hour which is doing around six a minute and then five a minute and then you get a few minutes rest each each hour and that went really well and basically I held that pace for just over 10 hours and accomplished the 3,000 in that time but just around 2,500 of this weird tingling in my chest I just didn't know what it was and the pain and it got worse and worse towards the 3,000 my plan was I was going to keep going if it felt okay but I decided to stop at 3,000 and I was lucky to have the move for physio guys which happened to be the Saints physios as well as having their own physio clinic in Northamptonshire I they were there working with me on what was going on and we could release the chest but then the pain would come back instantly after a few reps it was a really bizarre situation I wasn't sure what was going on I'd never felt that kind of like pain before it was a weird pain so post event we saw the physio the following week and they said you know rest up we need to rest it it felt weird it didn't hurt but it felt weird so if I opened the door like to it would hurt it wouldn't hurt it just feel weird it felt empty it felt like something wasn't right in my shoulder in my bicep or pec and we did some physio work on it. We tried to work out what was going on. And they're amazing. They did so much to help me in the lead up to the event. But long story short, it meant that for those four weeks into the event, I couldn't do one chin up. I did a session with the physios where we completed 250. We managed to work on it pain free, but it still didn't feel 100%. So two weeks before the event was sort of my decision point. Was I going to postpone the event? But I just couldn't. And the reason why I couldn't was we had so many amazing businesses that were sponsoring the event. You know, twenty-five to thirty thousand pounds 
of money was going towards that sponsorship. So if I postponed the event, there was a likelihood that we could have issues with receiving those funds and those things. And I just didn't want to cause that kind of issue. The other thing was logistically, we'd planned such a big event in terms of being down at the Saints, the Franklin's Gardens. We had a fantastic company um, called VIP, who they're like a video production company and they do loads of like stage set and they'd built this whole system to run, count the reps, they'd organize all the kit to be down there and, and basically look after the event for me. So I just couldn't postpone. And also the other side to me was, I wasn't sure if I was okay or not because it wasn't hurting. And I sort of done those 250 okay, it didn't feel quite right. So I said, look, no, we're still doing it. Because when I sat back and thought about it, I thought, well, actually, no, it's more important to raise this money than me stroking my own ego to get a world record. And I won't lie to you, I went, it, it was a big, big mental battle to get to the end of that... Um, yeah, get to the end of the four weeks of rest going into an event where I was supposed to try and beat a world record. It was so mentally tough. In fact, probably more mentally tough than I've ever had to deal with because you've got all those thoughts in your head constantly. And when I take on these challenges, my whole world like revolves around that challenge. So I just couldn't get away from it. So we turned up for the event. What an amazing event. They'd built such a, a cool space for me to do the event on and I just felt so lucky turning up there and having amazing brands like Approved Business Finance, Gymshark, we had Wolverson building pull-up bars for us to have there. There were so many incredible, incredible people and businesses that just completely got behind what we were trying to achieve and I felt so lucky to even be there and experience that and to add to the motivation the foundation team were down there supporting me throughout and the foundation some of the kids from the foundation were down there that just to come and cheer me on so yeah you know what a motivator knowing that it was for but before we talk about the event let's just talk about the actual fundraising goal I've done a little bit with the foundation before. When I beat the last year, I beat the Skierg 24-hour world record and we raised around £7,500 for them there. And that was purely because during the lockdown, there was a lot of worry for charities and especially foundation about their ability to continue to run. So I'd also seen the work they do and I felt completely aligned with what they were trying to achieve. I actually felt really emotionally connected to it, which traditionally I don't. I, I, yeah, people have made the joke of calling me Stoneheart, but I, I did feel connected to that. I saw kids that basically had horrendous upbringings or not had quite had the opportunities that I had or maybe you had to, to go and thrive or take on things and go and do, you know, edu educate themselves, go off to uni, get jobs. So, that's what the foundation do. They support these kids that are in that loophole. They might be involved in crime, in gangs. They might have been kicked out of school for poor behaviour. They might have not had the best home life. So there was lots of scenarios where these kids were just needed support and needed re-educating, needed support to get back into work. And that's what the foundation do. They offer classroom periods. They take these kids out for different opportunities to do different sports and have different experiences. And they also support them in terms of so many different facets of life, whether it be mentorship, um, writing CVs, going to interviews, getting them jobs. So yeah, you know, I was completely aligned with what they were doing. And one of the things I did notice was down there, their main building down at the Saints, which is which is just off to the side of the stadium, was that um, it's, it, the space wasn't ideal for them to be operating out of. You know, it's sort of old buildings. What I remember those old like asbestosy kind of like 
porter cabins that you see when you used to go to school lessons sometimes in so yeah what I wanted to do was work with them to build a new space for the for the kids to be able to come down to that they wanted to hang around and they wanted to be there and they wanted to learn and they wanted to be involved with the foundation and something basically that just that matched the passion the foundation have for for what they're doing and have a space that match that so that's what we were fundraising for and I, I put a pretty crazy goal in with John my mentor and said let's try and see if we can do a hundred thousand pounds we knew that with 50 we'd be able to achieve the goal but 100 would just blow it through the roof so yeah we set the crazy goal of that in hindsight i think i'd rather have not announced that and and because i think for fundraising some people would look at that and think that's such a big goal my 20 quid won't make a big difference but all of that adds up obviously but it's very hard for you to quantify that so next time i'm probably going to change the angle of how i fundraise that stuff but we turn to the event um it was warm. I was under a marquee. Something I wasn't prepared for was the heat. It felt a lot warmer than I thought. Even I had fans, and the fans just seemed to be like blowing hot air. We started three, two, one, go, and yeah, it was amazing. We had Carly Wolford organise DJs for. She basically organised DJs to play every hour throughout the event, which is just incredible. Like it's just such a cool vibe down there. And it was so nice to see people outdoors having fun again, which I felt like I hadn't seen for so long. We, we, yeah, we got to, I think I got through the first hour and I remember I finished the first hour and immediately my game plan was not to do 292. Just to give you perspective, I'd done 292 an hour for 10 hours uh, four weeks previously. My goal for this time, I was going to sit at 250, which would get me to 6,000 if I could hold that throughout. I'll give the first 250 and I got a few minutes break and I, and I remember thinking, this is this is felt hard, that hour felt hard. I just need 250, it'd be easy. I'd be, it'd be sat chilling, drinking coffee, having some food, having a chat, even putting a film on whilst I was working through some of the sessions. But it felt hard. And the first thing I noticed was I need to take on more fluids. I didn't feel myself and I think it was because of the heat. So I started to take on more fluids and I had the physio support me, getting me diarrhea and things. and. In terms of my own mental capacity, I felt better within 20 minutes of taking loads of Dyrolite. So I knew the heat was a difference and maybe the hydration. And then the second part was hands. Like, So the bar was taped, my hands were taped, and I had gloves on. But somehow, even though I'd never experienced any blistering issues like with hands or any like blood blisters, anything, no issue whatsoever. For the whole, I'd done 50,000 reps in prep and never had an issue. Three hours in, I was getting blisters all over my hands. And I'm sure that was because of the heat. And again, this is all on me. So accountability of these issues is important to put on me because I was the one that prepared for this event and I obviously wasn't fully prepared. So yeah, the heat was the heat was an issue. So I hadn't prepared for well enough and the hands were. The blistering was just another thing to have to think about, but it wasn't going to slow me down and cause me an issue. Again, the physios had the nice job of trying to pop them all because they were getting quite large and drain them and then retape them and then pop them again and retape them. But anyway, yeah, we, we were working through that. But it was about four hours in that it just felt horrendous. I got to a thousand, I was like, this is just not me. What's going on today? Like and, and, and in hindsight now, I realised that those four weeks were too long to not do a proper training session for the chin-ups. And obviously, I just got what you call that training fade that you get from time off that sport or that that whatever you're doing. So I was in it there, though, and I had to just suck it up and get on with it. And four hours in, I had 
the biggest setback, which was I started to feel that tingle in my chest again. And when that happened, I just knew, I knew, here we go. The next 20 hours are going to be rubbish. They're going to be horrendous. It's going to be the biggest mental test I've had to deal with. The pain quickly come on and what we did was we tried to manage it with some of the physio work we'd done and some of the pre, like the the activation work that I've been doing to try and make sure that my scaps were working correctly to minimise the issue at the front of my chest. That held it off a little bit and then it was time to kick into the painkillers. So we started taking painkillers around five, six hours in. There was a lot of painkillers and to be honest with you, you know, they continued throughout the event until, until I stopped. But they the the first thing I didn't again put into play was they upset my stomach quite a bit because I was taking so many. So the food eating was so difficult. So that didn't help either. It made me made me basically not eat hardly anything throughout the event because I was having stomach pains. But what they did do is it sort of minimised the pain I was feeling in my bicep and my chest. And yeah, we just I, all I said to myself was continue working through, and I continued that pace until about hour eight, and then I realized that the pain was becoming unmanageable because the reps were becoming really difficult to get and i think that was a combination of training fade and pain so what i did was i lowered down the goal so i said right i'm going to do 230 an hour now which meant the pace was a lot slower a bit more manageable and yeah i worked through that again for another few hours i think i got to about hour 14 i was still ahead of the world record pace but it was about hour 14 that i knew here we go i think this is it now and I've been dealing with so many little stressors. And I deal, you think stress, I always say stress is like you've got all these little things around you that are going on. And it's about how you stay composed in the middle. And that's all I try and do. I'll be the one in the middle composing those little stresses around me. So I had my hands were blistering. It was hot. I had the pressure of trying to get the world record, the people around me, the fundraising, um, the 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 issue with the injury, the not eating, the getting the fluids on, and then it was um the the can I hold the pace? That was the biggest one I was struggling with. Around that time, the Saints boys turned up after their game in Bath, and they, it was great to have them down. I appreciate them coming over to come and support and get involved. Uh, and I had Woody, who you know I've now become really good friends with, and he he got involved and come and joined in with me and. Uh, and yeah, basically trained trained with me. I think he'd end up doing about five hundred with me. Absolute legend through the night whilst drinking. My ad, what a, what a hero! Uh, and yeah, we had we had James Haskell on the decks DJing. We had my friend Loz or AKA Rubik DJing. So 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 many things going on that helped. And yeah, I just kept plowing on, kept going, but the pace just slowed and slowed and slowed. And it got to a point where I knew about hour seventeen. I just knew that. That was it now. Like my, I dropped off the world record pace. I was struggling to get the reps. Uh, it became a complete dogfight. And I knew then that that was it. I'd lost it. And that was really demoralizing because it all my work. To, the, the biggest, the best way I could sum up the whole event for me was frustration. I was just frustrated that I couldn't showcase all the work I'd put in. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't just show everyone that all I put in. I felt sort of like I let people down for that reason. So... Yeah, we carried, but I didn't want to stop. I wanted to carry on going on. And the team were telling me I could stop. The physios were telling me I could stop. But I didn't want to because I wanted to justify the fundraising that people had donated. I wanted to put myself deeper into that hole to try and persuade people to donate more money, basically, because that was the goal. So that's why I carried on going. And we got to about hour 21 and I decided to stop. And the reason I stopped was because 
my arm had started to swell up to the point where like flexing it was getting very difficult and it was finding it very difficult to get my chin over the bar. I even then got a band and put a band onto the rig to see if that would help and I still couldn't do it. So it became, it became such a pain to do that. Yeah, and that's where yeah, I took the decision basically to say, right, I'm going to stop now. And that was demoralising as well because I just, I wanted to go to the end at least. But yeah, I look back now and say it was the right decision because of, because from speaking to sponsors, they were still totally behind it and happy with it. And um, I didn't want to make myself any worse with the rehab now as we come out of the event. So yeah, well, I think we finished about three and a half thousand reps. So I was way behind. You can see the kind of pace drop off that we had over those last seven, eight hours. And I walked away from that event. I stayed until the, the end and I helped pack up and said a thank you to the people that had turned up to come cheer me on at the end, which felt so difficult because I felt like they'd all driven over to come and cheer me on at the end and I wasn't even doing it. So it hurt quite a lot. I walked away from the event. How did I walk away? I walked away obviously hurt and frustrated. I hadn't even give myself a chance to appreciate how much money we'd raise because of that. And I think I spent the next few days just trying to like get my head around what had happened and why. And I just felt pain basically. And when I say pain, I don't mean like the physical, yeah, that was there, but I mean just the mental pain of thinking, you know, all that work and I couldn't really showcase it and I couldn't even uh, challenge the world record. That's the best way of putting it because of it. So, yeah, I ended up walking away from thinking, right, you know, what's going on here? And the first thing I realised was, wait a minute, I preach to people about failure. And I've dealt with so many different failures in the past already. Like, I've failed so, so many times. I've failed more times I've succeeded. And I knew that was just part of the journey. I knew if I was pushing the limits, these things might happen. And I wasn't worried about what other people thought. I never really have been, to be honest with you. I... I've always wanted to make people happy, but I've never worried about if they thought bad things about me or talk behind my back about something. They, those things didn't really concern me. So actually, I realised it wasn't bad. And it actually gave me an opportunity to learn, which was probably the most important thing for me, is how can we learn from this event? And there's a few things I learned. There was things about the event that I maybe would have done better in terms of running the event. I would have been a bit more ruthless with it. Like I was saying hello to everyone that turned up for the first probably about eight, nine hours before it got a bit too painful and I was too spaced out on drugs. And I just managed to sit back and go, what do I need to do better? And the biggest thing I realised was I just let a few training things go for granted because I'd always been able to work around them with grit. So the first thing was nutrition, the second thing was recovery and rehab and all those accessory work things and the third one was like sleep. Traditionally I don't really sleep that much, I'll go to bed late, get up early, you know, I'll be looking like six hours sleep, which for someone training twice a day, you know, four, potentially 14 sessions a week is just not viable. Nutrition I'd never taken seriously, I'd just eat what I wanted when I wanted. Um, and then all the recovery accessory work, I sort of just took it for granted. was like, yeah, just go through the motions with it and never work on it. So I wrote all these things down and was like, right, we're not going to leave them now. And I talk now and say, you know, we've, we're a few weeks after the event. I've been working on all the rehab work with Move 4 guys, uh, the physio team. I've got in touch and now got a nutritionist. 
who's now doing all my food. I've become one of those guys that walks around with Tupperware and like a cool bag. <laughs> and yeah, we're now starting to take all those things more seriously. I'm basically not going to leave any holes that or any take anything for granted. Everything's going to be covered from now on. My preparation is going to be as professional as possible. And they're the mental thing from it. Oh, what a mental test from the event. I've never been pushed mentally like that before. Physically, I wasn't pushed that much because I didn't I didn't I couldn't push myself physically that much. But mentally dealing with the pain or the injury or the cha- the mental challenges that you have during those events, it was the most I've ever dealt with. So that was a great training experience as well to deal with that. So I walk away from it now actually feeling really positive. Positive that I failed because it gives me an opportunity to have another go at it. It adds another part to the story of, of hopefully educating and helping future athletes and these kids that are going to go on to do amazing things to show them that they can and the failure is going to be part of it and that you don't have to give up after failure. You can have another go and another go and another go. And I've also had an opportunity to learn personally from my mistakes previously. So yeah, we you know we we come forward now and actually with a smile on my face that we've raised nearly fifty thousand pounds. We're going to build these classrooms, and I've learned so much in the process coming forward from this. So yeah, you know, I'm so thankful for the experience, which I think was really really important. I suppose the next thing moving forward then is what have I got going on? Well, you, you can probably tell by the way I'm talking that we're going to do the chin up event again. We're looking at doing it in January as long as I can rehab my injury in time. We're looking at around six months of work to get it back to normal again. So it sort of works out quite well. But in the meantime, we have got lots and lots going on. What have we got going on? So, well, it, it, next week I'm going on my mountain leader course, which is uh, a course in terms of leading others in mountainous areas in the UK. I've done everything myself, like self-taught and YouTube and reading. So it's going to be really nice to be on a course, actually, and then eventually build up all my hours in the mountains and then go and do the assessment. And one of my goals, I'd love to be able to lead expeditions, whether it be things like the Free Peaks and all that, like, to raise money for my foundation and uh, and then go and put it into projects that we're, we're supporting. So that's next week. Then at the start of August... I'm going to be flying out to Iceland and I'm going to be doing a coast to coast challenge from north to south, cross, going across the whole of Iceland. So that's going to involve mountain biking, some rafting, going for some river crossings and things because of the glacial uh, glaciers and also because of the mountainous regions that we're going to be crossing. And then also a trek and run towards the end for about 60 miles. So I think about 450 kilometers in total from point to point. What a place to go to. Like, I love Iceland when I went out there last time. I was just in awe the whole time. I cannot wait to go out there again and put, challenge myself. I can do it even with my shoulder issues, which is fantastic. So all my training is currently catered towards that. Then in August, we're sorry, not in August, in October, I'm going to be taking on the MDS, the Marathon de Saab, 250 kilometers across the Hara Desert. Anyone knows me knows I'm not that good in heat. I'm like your typical Brit. I'm going to burn. I'm going to be sweating all over the place. But I cannot wait to take that challenge on. So you've probably seen me following me on Instagram. You've seen the amount of training I'm doing, running and endurance work, 
It's all tailored towards these next two challenges. And in the meantime, I'm also bolting on all my rehab and strength work to help me sort out my shoulder issue in preparation for January. And post-January, there is some big, big things going on, which I'm planning at the minute, which we're not going to announce until everything's properly planned and we know exactly what we're going to do and how it's going to work and how the fundraising is going to work. So, you know, once that's all done, we'll put a big announcement out for that. So, yeah, lots going on moving forward. And I'm going to try and continue these podcasts and either story tell from things I've done in the past or talk about experience I've had recently. I might do one about the Mountain Leader course and how that was. I'll do one definitely about Iceland and talk you through those experiences. And I'll just talk you through my day-to-day training at the minute and what's going on with it. So, yeah, you know, I look back now and think, well, seven months ago, I didn't know what I was going to do pathway. We now look at now, I've got an office, a brand, we've got a website built, we've got a team of, I've got an amazing mentor, I've made some fantastic new friends, I've met some amazing people and businesses, we've raised £50,000 for the foundation, we've run our first event, and we've got so much more planned in the future, which is so exciting. So I've got lots to get on with, lots to learn, lots of challenges to take on, and I'm so excited to, to move forward with them and at the end of the day, make a big difference to others as well as go and push myself to new limits and learn new things about myself and hopefully transition those skills onto you guys that are listening. So thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the support that people have shown, whether it be comments online, shares, messages, emails, donations to the charity, that you know, whatever any kind of support you are giving, I really support. I'm really, really thankful, sorry, of that. I am. I feel extremely lucky to be in the position I am in and have some amazing support. And uh, yeah, I just cannot wait now to, to get cracking on with, with preparation in the lead up to the next bit. So thank you. I will keep these going. Please let me know what you think. You can drop me an email. The best one to get me on is events events at jackfleckney.co.uk or you can drop me a message on social media head over to Jack Fleckney which is on Instagram Uh, that's probably the best one to get me in if you're in business bits then LinkedIn as well as I do a little bit more public speaking events and things as well so yeah come, come and let me know what you thought drop me a message keep in touch and continue to follow the journey and you know if you've got any questions specific to things that you're taking on then fly them to me and uh I will I will look to maybe answer them in the next podcast. Yep. Amazing. Speak to you soon team. Seek, strive and conquer.